G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. There's the big issues, of course, a new battlefront opening up in the state of Queensland where the Queensland Law Reform Commission has released its report into the review of termination of pregnancy laws in Queensland. Let's not talk so much about the Uniting Church today, but get your thoughts on perhaps things that are unfolding in the state of Queensland, because this is a another huge ethical issue, uh, and no doubt there'll be Christians ready uh, to do what is necessary uh, to make their voice heard here. Uh, what's actually happened in Queensland? Well, the Law Reform Commission has given its report about um, termination of pregnancies to the government. And, um, and, and surprise, surprise, and by that I mean there's no surprise at all, the Commission report sets out a regime within which um, abortion will be legalised in Queensland and uh, objection to uh, abortion in a number of respects uh, will be done away with. So, first of all, um, it, it's worth noting that what the, the government did last year was to send a referral to the Law Reform Commission and what they really asked them to do was to come back with a framework within which abortion will be legalised and is it any surprise therefore that that's what they've done and so what they've done is they've recommended um, and they've drafted some laws which would allow termination of pregnancy up to 22 weeks and even after 22 weeks gestation um, in certain circumstances but there are a couple of things that really concern me beyond those issues and they are very concerning beyond those very concerning issues one issue that concerns me is that uh, doctors who have a conscientious objection to abortion are required to refer the patient to someone else who doesn't have a conscientious objection. Um, so really, that, that's not taking into account your, your objection at all. And they're also setting up what they call safe zones um, outside abortion clinics within which it will be illegal to even counsel people or to assist people that there's a different way. So um, it, it really is um, a regime that will um, decriminalise abortion and which, um, which, which sadly will result in um, even more uh, deaths of unborn babies in the state of Queensland. You certainly raise an important point here, Ashley. Just reflect on this just a little longer, if you wouldn't mind, because uh, what you're suggesting is in this new uh, report is the idea that if you are a doctor who holds a pro-life position, if you're a Christian and you have faith in God and you believe that the little life being formed inside of a woman is in fact a person, uh, then even if you say, no, I can't because I have a conscientious objection. My conscience will not allow me to uh, to perform or recommend an abortion here. What you're saying is that there is going to be a compulsion upon those doctors 
to refer that woman to someone who will do the abortion uh, and will have no concern about their own conscience. Isn't that, isn't that just, I mean, I'm just almost lost for words because that sort of thing happening is just, it's dreadful. Uh, yes, it is dreadful. And, uh, and so what uh, this regime, if introduced, uh, and so, yes, we, we need to say that the government uh, might amend the draft legislation, but why would they when the draft legislation is what they asked for? They've basically said, we want to wash our hands of the political consequences of this, and therefore, instead of us owning this legislation, we'll refer it to the Law Reform Commission. And so it's come back in this form, and uh, what it provides is that if you are a health practitioner who has a conscientious objection, you are required to inform your patient about that conscientious objection, and you are to refer that woman or transfer her care to another healthcare professional who will perform the abortion and who does not have a conscientious objection. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's not simply that uh, I have an objection to this, can we talk about this in the interests of your health, in the interests of the health of your baby, let's talk about uh, different, uh, different ways of looking at this. It's, I have a conscientious objection, I'm disclosing that to you, and here's a card for Dr. Bloggs down the road who doesn't have a conscientious objection and who will perform uh, the abortion for you. Uh, and so it really puts um, uh, doctors of conscience in a very, very difficult position. And I guess when we talk about the comparison of what is being proposed for Queensland, of course the comparisons come to what's happened in Victoria and in Tasmania. So uh, in those states, uh, they're already under those sorts of laws. But there is some suggestion, Ashley Saunders, that the laws that are being proposed in Queensland actually outdo even those laws in Victoria, which are considered to be the worst abortion laws in the world. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on perhaps the comparison here? Yeah, it's amazing. What, what Queensland is likely to go from and to is to go from a situation where any abortion is a criminal act, even though we know that it's performed on a daily basis, sadly, around the state, uh, from a legal position, abortion in Queensland is criminal, um, and to um, to procure an abortion or to undertake one is a criminal act. And so Queensland is likely to go from um, a state in which the termination of the life of an unborn baby uh, is criminal right through to some of the most uh, progressive or, in my view, regressive abortion laws in the whole world. Okay. Ashley, is there a time that is coming over these coming months? And uh, I've heard it suggested that there may be a vote on this law sometime in October. Uh, is this a time of urgency now for people who are concerned about abortion law? And uh, particularly as we talk about the state of Queensland today, uh, is this a time of urgency for people to be in touch with their local MP? Yeah, yes, that, without doubt. And and remember, another another issue that's relevant in Queensland is that by with Queensland only having the one house of parliament, it's not even as though having passed a lower house, there then needs to be the review of an upper house or an upper house committee and those kinds of things. So basically, if if the law gets through the the, the one house of parliament in Queensland, the only jurisdiction uh, in Australia that has just the one house, if it gets through. 
um, the one house of parliament, it then uh, becomes law. And so it is urgent. As to the timing, uh, there's only six weeks of parliament between now and the end of end of the year and um and so on the one hand you could you could say you know is it going to be done this year or is it something they'll do next year i guess my my thoughts at the moment are that they want that that, that government regards this the premier in particular in my view regards this as unfinished business and will want to get this so-called unfinished business done and out of the way within the next six weeks of sitting. And so, yes, it's very urgent that um, that people who are uh, resident in Queensland contact their local um, MP and, um, and raise this very serious issue with them. Ashley, let's change directions a little and get some thoughts from you today on the issue of gender equality. Sometimes... Uh, people are critical of the church, critical of Christians, critical of the Bible, and suggesting that somehow or other uh, there's some sort of misogynistic-type message in there and an assumption that somehow or other God is a little bit like that because he's revealed himself as male. This issue of gender equality comes up quite often in conversation. Uh, what are your thoughts on gender equality? Is it gender of opportunity or equality of outcome? What are your thoughts? Well, well I was uh, driving along the street um, in another state um, last week and uh, I saw a big sign that says uh, I choose maths and it had the picture of a young lady and uh, very clearly a promotion to try and and have women study what they call STEM subjects science technology engineering and, and mathematics and to get involved in STEM occupations and uh, I have I have absolutely no problem with that. I'm married to a maths teacher uh, and, um, and uh, there is no doubt that women who become involved in these kinds of occupations bring something of their personality. The question is, as a very fundamental philosophical question, is this. Um, is it really um, to do with equality of opportunity or is it a quality of outcome? And, and for the benefit of your listeners, let me just explain that a little bit. Um, if there are blockages, structural blockages, to people getting into um, occupations of their choice, then those blockages ought to be removed. That's a quality of opportunity. But is it really desirable to have a quality of outcome where you say, well, that was a male-dominated industry, and look at that, we're now almost equal male and female. This was a female-dominated uh, occupation. Now we've got roughly 50-50. Is, is, is that what it's really all about? And in my view, it isn't, and it shouldn't be. Um, and in fact, studies show that um, on the whole, most women will not choose STEM subjects or STEM occupations. And so if, if we're really on about a quality of outcome, that we won't be satisfied until we've got roughly 50% male and female in roughly every industry or occupation, then what we're really saying is, um, regardless of what you want or the area in which you want to work, we won't be satisfied until there are more of you doing what you don't want to do. Uh, and let me say that again, because it, it's, it, sounds, it sounds ridiculous. I know you don't really, as a, on the whole, want to do these subjects. I know that on the whole, you really don't want to work in these occupations, but we're telling you you've got to. Now, is that, is, is that freedom? The answer is no, it's not. That's, that, that's the imposition of some code 
that is trying to reform all of society and uh, I think it needs to be it needs to be called for what it is there needs to be an equality of opportunity no blockages should be there should somebody want to be involved in a particular occupation but the idea that we won't be happy until there's a quality of outcome in my view is actually the antithesis of freedom it's as though there's been a gradual warming up of this idea that somehow or other uh, women have been conditioned not to like maths and science and engineering, those sorts of things. Uh, but uh, as you say, an equality of opportunity, if we're talking about where we would make a Christian position here, a, a biblical-founded type of position, because we know that the essential equality between a man and woman is there, and that comes from God. Uh, so when, when it comes to these uh, opportunities and outcomes, I imagine if we're settling for a Christian position, and I know this is more than just simplistic, but the idea of equality of opportunity is, is where a Christian ought to stand on this, Ashley. Uh, yes, in my view, that's very clearly the case. And, uh, and we need to be, continue to be at the forefront of, uh, of wanting to remove uh, blockages and obstacles. Uh, just, just let me give a bit of a biblical perspective again. You know, when, when Peter, Paul rather wrote to the church in Ephesus and not only said, women, love your husbands, but then went on and said, husbands, love your wife. Uh, this was probably the first time in the ancient world that it was ever suggested that a husband owed any duty at all to his wife. Up until then, it was all about the duty that a wife owes to a husband. This was radical. Um, this, was, this was Paul saying, you husbands, not only are you required to love your wife, but you're required to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. That's the kind of love that you ought to have for your wife. That's the duty that you owe her. This is radical. And, uh, and therefore, continuing that kind of radical um, understanding, uh, we as Christians ought to be wanting there to be, um, in my view, uh, an equality of opportunity to make sure the blockages are removed, but no way should we be forcing people to do something they don't really want to do. <laughs> Amazing insights there, Ashley Saunders, and uh, I know for some people they'll be so refreshed to hear those sorts of comments when it comes to gender issues. Uh, there's another issue that flows on from this type of uh, gender equality that we're talking about today, and I know you've been looking into issues to do with advertising guidelines on gender stereotyping because the sorts of ads we see on TV, and uh, and sometimes it's amusing and sometimes it's a challenge, but uh, this gender stereotyping idea has been at the uh, the heart of some of your thoughts lately. Uh, yes, and uh, only in this last week, the Australian Association of National Advertisers has released its updated guidelines on gender stereotyping in advertising. And uh, they put out a media release and it states this, it says, the new guidelines feature examples of gender stereotyping that would be in breach of the code, such as depicting family members creating a mess while a woman is the only one tasked with cleaning it up. An advertisement that features a man trying and failing at a simple parental or household task may also be in breach of the code. Now, now there's a sense in which we really ought to get away from negative stereotypes. Uh, there's another sense in which if we depict um, a, a, a woman doing uh, work that she wants to do or we depict a man doing something that he likes to do, uh, then that should be okay. Should we object to uh, an advertisement that shows 
um, mum washing the floor, the answer is we should object no more than if we see an advertisement with dad washing the floor or we should object no more than if we see an advertisement with dad uh, doing a do-it-yourself um, uh, project out in the back shed. Um, and, and rather than seeing things and wanting to make a complaint, seeing things and wanting to see it negatively, uh, we, we ought to simply recognise that there is creativity in all of this. I mean, can you feel for the advertisers for a moment? Feel for the people putting ads together. And, and can you imagine the creative rooms where somebody comes up with an idea and someone says, oh, no, no, we can't do that because that'll, that, that'll be against the guidelines. Let, let's go back to one of what I think is one of Australia's best ever ads. And that was the, the advertisement uh, where the young boy was asking Dad, why did they build the Great Wall of China? And Dad says, oh, of course, there were too many rabbits. <laughs> it was to keep the rabbits out. Now, now, many of your listeners would hear me say that and remember how funny that was, and yet um, that is, in a sense, a negative stereotype. That's saying that Dad is dumb. Uh, th there is no way in the world... Let's get... Uh, just think about the gender realities beyond this code. You see, if, if they were to do that advertisement now under these guidelines... They could be in breach of the code because that's a, a negative stereotype saying dads are dumb. But at the same time, if they had that advertisement with mum giving that answer, it wouldn't be in breach of the code necessarily, but people would be in uproar. How dare you suggest that women are dumb? Uh, and so what it does in trying to solve a problem, it actually creates a whole lot of other problems. And um, there, there are times when we ought to perhaps say to people, just get a life. Uh, I remember that's what used to be said when I was at school. I oh, listen, get a life, and um, and so uh, sh we should object to negative stereotypes, but we shouldn't be in getting in the way of creativity. Well, somehow or other, I think there's no real easy answer to this whole idea of negative stereotyping, but it does create an opportunity for us to talk about it. And, and that may be one of the key things, because if there's a debate going on, at least uh, for sensible people, you'll be able to find some centre ground and hopefully uh, some common sense might prevail. Ashley Saunders, always so good getting your insights. Let me point people to the Family Voice Australia website, fava.org.au. Ashley Saunders is the National Director of Family Voice Australia. Ashley, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. Uh, thank you, Neil, for the opportunity, and good morning to your listeners. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.